Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to the Hope for Your Heart broadcast. I'm so glad that you're joining us today. This is a ministry of Hickory Ridge Community Church, and if you don't have a place to worship this weekend, I would love to invite you to be part of our family. Uh, We do worship at 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. every Sunday, so come on out and join us. We'll make you feel right at home, and uh, I know that you'll enjoy being with us, and if you don't know where we are, we're down in the Hickory section of Chesapeake. You go down Battlefield Boulevard South, keep going till you come to the last church before you come into North Carolina. And uh, we are right on the state line of Virginia and North Carolina. As a matter of fact, our motto is Hickory Ridge Community Church, where Virginia and North Carolina meet God. And we love that motto. That motto explains that we have people from both states in our church. And uh, as a matter of fact, I think we have a few more people from North Carolina that are joining us. And we have a lot of people that live in Moyoc. And so if you're having trouble hearing this broadcast, I want to let you know there's a podcast that you can download. These are free podcasts because you get down to the south part of Chesapeake, we start to get a little bit out of the broadcast area for the station. And so uh, tune us in on a podcast, free download podcast. One would be buzzsprout.com. Just type in or Google in buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557. Or we're also on Spotify. We're on Google Podcasts. We're on Apple Podcasts. You can listen to our services online on Sunday morning at 10.30. We just have our 10.30 service online. We're at live at 9 and 10.30, but if you can't make it in person, you can certainly listen to us online. And we had a great day at worship yesterday. We dedicated five precious babies to the Lord yesterday, and uh, we just had a wonderful time worshiping together, and I love hanging out with God's people. And uh, I'm talking today about identity in Christ. And the fact that many of us struggle with our identity, right? We go through an identity crisis, and kind of like Alice in Wonderland, I mentioned her yesterday, right? She says, I knew who I was this morning, but I've changed a few times since then. And maybe that's how you feel as you get through this journey of life. Uh, At one point, you thought you were going to do one thing, and then you turned around and did another thing. And listen, life is so uncertain. There's a few things that I can go to the bank on when it comes to life. Number one is that life is very brief. Listen, even you make it to be 100 years old. Uh, that's pretty good. We have a lady in our church. She's 87 years old. And uh, and she told me, she says, man, if I, if I knew I was going to live this long, I would have taken better care of myself. But even if she lives to be 100, we prayed for her. And she asked us to pray the prayer of Hezekiah. And he prayed that God would give him an extra 15 years. And sure enough, uh, God granted that prayer. And so we're praying for this lady that God will give her another 15 years and actually another 13 to go. And uh, we're so proud of her. She's such a wonderful lady in our church. But identity is something that constantly changes. Life is short. Life is brief. And life is uncertain. And, uh, you know, you think about the uncertainty of life. There are some things that I've noticed about people as I talk to them. And, and I've interviewed a lot of inmates. I'm serving as the chaplain at Indian Creek Correctional Center, so all the guys who might be listening from Indian Creek, I say a big hello to you guys, and uh, we're slowly getting back to in-person services at Indian Creek, and uh, man, I love those guys, thank the Lord for them, and the uh, uh, the staff and the administration at Indian Creek, and uh, we're slowly getting back into our regular routine of having services there, but I've talked to many inmates, and I've asked them this question, did you plan on being an inmate? Was that part of your, was, was that on your bucket list, right? And I haven't met one who said, oh yeah, that's what I wanted to do. And uh, now some of them may believe that they were going to end up there because of uh, the way they were living their lives, but they didn't start off life intending to be an inmate. 
Life has got a lot of twists and turns to it, doesn't it? Not only do sometimes bad things happen to us that we didn't expect and didn't, uh, didn't look forward to, but sometimes some good things happen to us that we didn't anticipate. You know, when I was going through college, uh, I had this thing called senioritis, and, and maybe you can relate to that. And uh, I was a senior in college. I was getting ready to graduate. And uh, man, I had no prospects of getting married. I didn't have, I wasn't dating anybody seriously. And uh, I was not, uh, I I was worried. I says, man, if I can't find a young lady that will say I do to me uh, at this very large Christian university, uh, what am I going to do when I go back home to my little Pone Oak town? And uh, I said, man, I'm worried about this thing. And uh, you know what I did? I said, you know, Lord, if you want me to never get married, I'm okay with that. And uh, I wasn't okay with it at first, but I said, Lord, if that's really what you want me to do, uh, you know, I think the Apostle Paul spent most of his life as a single man. I don't know that he was married or not, but, you know, God can use single people in a very special way. And I said, okay, okay, Lord, uh, you can use me in a single way as a single if you want. I knew the Lord called me into ministry. And so uh, I just began to say, okay, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I I just stopped looking, right? Now, thankfully, we didn't have uh, uh, eHarmony back then. And so I, I just stopped looking. I said, okay, if the Lord's got somebody, fine. If not, that's fine too. I'm just going to keep on preparing for ministry. Uh, that was my senior year in college. And don't you know that God sent uh, a young lady into my life who had been praying for me? And uh, I wasn't looking, and she wasn't looking, and God sent her into my life. And uh, I had been in a bad car accident, and uh, we had some mutual friends. I had never met her before, but we had some mutual friends. And so uh, her friend says, hey, this guy was in a bad car accident. And uh, we want to get everybody praying for him. He was driving home from college, uh, and he was driving all night, fell asleep, and ended up in the hospital. Didn't know if he was going to make it. And so so my wife, it wasn't my wife at that time, but she started praying for me. And then she got to meet me because she was a student at Liberty, and I was in my senior year. And uh, boy, what a great time we had then. Uh, When she met me, I was in a body cast uh, uh, from the waist on up to my neck, had no front teeth. I was a sight to behold. But I kid around and tell people, it was love at first sight. But uh, God has really blessed us. And uh, you know, uh, when I stopped looking, God sent just the right person into my life. You know, when you think about your identity, your identity must be in Christ. Michael W. Smith wrote that song, My Place in the World, and I shared the lyrics, but I think it'd be beneficial for us to hear them again. And here are the lyrics to that song that he wrote back in 1990. The wind is moving, but I'm standing still. A life of pages waiting to be filled. A heart that's hopeful, a head that's full of dreams, but this is becoming harder than it seems. Feels like I'm looking for a reason, roaming through the night to find my place in this world, my place in this world. Not a lot to lean on. I need your light to help me find my place in this world. So today we're talking about why my identity in Christ, what is it, why does it matter, and how do I get it? John 1.12 reminds us that all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, He gave us the right, the right to become the children of God. We're at home in Christ because of what he has done for us. You know, God builds a family and he draws us into that family and he says, I want you to be part of my family. That's where our identity comes from. It comes from Christ. And we learn secondly that this matters is because not only do we have a home in Christ, but we also get to experience God's handiwork in us. 
Ephesians 2 10 says that we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. God prepared these works in advance for us to do. And listen, when you're doing exactly what God caused you to do, you realize that He gives you the tools that you need. He gives you the wisdom that you need. He gives you all the resources that you need to be successful in carrying out that assignment that he has for you. And then we learn thirdly, not only we are part of God's home and and we're his handiwork, but we are hand-selected by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Peter reminds us that we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Would you love that? Now, if that doesn't help you out, I don't know what I can do to help you out today on the broadcast. I realize that God chose you. Listen, I know what it's like to be not chosen. I know what it's like to be overlooked. I think everyone from time to time understands what it's like to be left behind, to be not chosen. Listen, God chose you before you were born. That's why Charles Spurgeon said, it's a good thing that God chose me before I was born, for he certainly would not have chosen me after I was born. Listen, as a child of the king, hand-selected for the kingdom of God, God chooses you. And it says, even before the creation of the world. Now, he chose you to be holy and to be blameless in his sight. Now, don't forget that, right? I think a lot of times we struggle with our identity because we're not living up to what God has called us to do. Listen, when he hand-selected you, he says, I want you on my team. I want you to be a royal priesthood. And I want you to be part of a holy nation. You are God's special possession, and you have a job to do, and that is to declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. If God chose you, he wants you to be holy. He wants you to carry out that mission. Listen, you know what? You're a number 10 in something, and you're the apple of somebody's eye. Somebody is looking to you and says, I want to know, how do I navigate through life? How can I be successful? You, Everybody has a circle of influence of at least six people. Do those people in your circle of influence, do they know your relationship with the Lord? You know, we have the opportunity to touch lives constantly. Yesterday, we had a family that was in our services, and, and I didn't know who this family was. It was their first time with us. And, and uh, at the end of uh, the service, later on in the day and that afternoon, I received an email from this family that joined our church for that particular Sunday. And I read this email, and I was almost brought to tears. And this person who sent me this email says, you know, the whole time I'm looking and I'm listening to the messages and I keep saying, how do I know this guy? How do I know this guy? I know this guy from somewhere. And he says, well, I thought, well, maybe we went to high school together. And, uh, but he said, no, I'm, I'm younger than he is. And he says, well, uh, uh, we couldn't have gone to high school together because I'm older than he is. And, and he's racking his brain, trying to figure it out. And in my message somewhere, I had said something about living in, in Moyoc. And this guy says, I know this guy. He used to be my neighbor. And he sent me this wonderful email, very encouraging email. He says, you know, at a a particular time in my life, I was going through a real hard time. And he says, you and your wife would come by and you'd help us out. And he says, one day, uh, your wife, she was great with child and came down and gave us a a turkey, gave us some food and and gave us, uh, we needed a stroller and uh, he had twins. And and, uh, so my wife gave him them a a stroller. He says, you used to take my kids to the Iwana ministry at the Roerton Club. And uh, he says, it it hit me when I got home. He says, you used to be my neighbor and you used to reach out and bless me. Listen, you never know random acts of kindness. You never know the long-term impact that's going to have on somebody. Listen, God hand-selected you. He has a job for you to do. He chose you. 
Well, there's something else about this identity of Christ that is so important. Not only do we have a home in Christ, not only we are his handiwork, not only has he hand-selected us, but he holds on to us securely. Oh, man, this is such a blessing. John says this, 1 John 3, 1. See how great the love of the Father has been lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And that is exactly what we are. The reason the world does not know us is because it doesn't know Him. Now listen, if you're looking for the world to give you security, you're going to be greatly disappointed. Our security is in Christ, and He holds us securely. The psalmist put it this way, He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of that miry bog, and He set my feet upon a rock, making my steps. I want you to know that God is holding on to you. Sometimes I can't hold on to him, but he's holding on to me. In John 10, 28, we learn that Jesus is speaking. and He says, I give unto them eternal life. Now, they're never going to perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. Jesus is hanging on to us, and you don't have to worry about letting go. Kind of reminds me of my kids were young, right? Uh, Sometimes they try to break free, but I was a whole lot stronger than them, and I'd hang on to their hands, and uh, they didn't realize that I was protecting them from running off into traffic or running off and getting lost. I'd hold on to that hand securely. Uh, They couldn't get away from me. Uh, The same is true with our relationship with Christ. He is hanging on to us. He's not going to let that grip slip. He is holding on to you. Well, there's something else about having your identity in Christ. Not only do you have that home with Him— Uh, He does his work in ours. Uh, He hand selects us. He's holding on to us securely, but he also gives us a whole lot of hope. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him, that's talking about Jesus, he who knew no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, I love that word hope, right? Uh, We had a whole year that we designated as the year of hope. Uh, This year is the year that we're going to believe God for some big, audacious things to happen. Now, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for hope is baktah, and it has this meaning of confidence, security, and being without care. So the concept is that there's going to be doubt in this world, but we have hope in Christ. And this word hope is an amazing word. It's found 180 times uh, in the New International Version of the Bible. And in the Old Testament, we see that the concept is kind of like there is no doubt about it, right? Uh, You have this confidence that you can trust and have no doubt about it. And then we get into the New Testament, and the Greek word that is used here uh, is found in in Hebrews 11.1, and it's talking about this confidence that we have. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Now, as we look at this verse, it's found in the beginning of what is called the Hero of the Faith chapter in the Bible. And Hebrews chapter 11 begins by giving us the definition of faith. Now, faith is not like this leap into the darkness. Hope is confidence in Christ. It's actually a leap into the light. So the writer of Hebrews goes what I would call the argument from the greater to the lesser. Okay, so the greater is that you have your faith in Christ, your hope in Him. And when you do that, you're saved. That's the point of salvation. It's a transfer of trust. I'm no no longer trusting myself. 
I'm putting my confidence in him. And you're born again. It is a drastic event, right? Uh, it is such a, an event that you never quite forget it. You're never quite the same after it happens to you. I guess you could say it's kind of like getting married, right? And uh, your life is never again quite the same once you get married. And uh, hopefully it gets a whole lot better for you, right? Because uh, uh, God has brought a wonderful spouse into your life and, and your life is never again the same. So when we look at that hope, right? Faith is being sure of what we hope for, certain of what we do not see. The writer of Hebrews goes back and says, you were saved by faith in Christ. He changed your life. Because he changed your life in the past, now you can trust him for what you cannot see in the future. So there's substance to it, right? Faith is the substance of things we hope for. It's kind of like sitting in a chair. There's substance to that chair. It can hold your weight. Walking across a concrete pad, it can hold your weight. You can put your confidence in it. You can lean into him. That's where our hope is. So when we think about hope, the first time it appears in the New Testament, Jesus says this, Matthew 12, 21, in his name, the nations will put their hope, confidence in Christ. Peter says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, this is confidence, right? This is the confidence that we have in Christ. Now, and unfortunately, this word hope has kind of been diluted in our modern English language. For example, if I say, I hope it doesn't rain today, right? There's a good chance that it might rain. But when I say my hope is in Christ, it's my complete confidence in him. Now, for example, Romans 8.28, this is a verse that we know and we repeat often. We know that all things work together for good to those who love him to those who have been called according to his purpose. So that's the word we know. That's the word hope that all things work together for good. Our confidence is in him because he is looking out for our best interest. Now, hope is great, right? If you start to lose hope, you won't live much longer. You know, as I record this uh, broadcast, as a member of our church that that her health is not doing well and, and she's losing hope, she's losing that drive to keep on living. And if that doesn't change, uh, she will not be with us too much longer. And she's elderly, and, and she's lived a full life, but uh, I'm concerned that she's losing that drive and that determination to continue on. You know, when I think about hope, when the world begins to lose hope in Christ, they begin to have hope in themselves, and that leaves them empty. You know, when you think about morality— in 2015, the Higher Education Research Institute released the results of its annual freshman survey. It's a questionnaire that was given out to 150,000 first-year college students in the United States. They've discovered that 27.5% of incoming college freshmen, when asked what their religious preference was, selected none. In other words, I have no religious preferences. Now, this is the highest rate since this survey began in 1971. In 1971, it was around 10%. That chose none. In 2015, it's 27.5%. Today, it is up to about 34%. So, as we look at this, we kind of feel like, well, if you want to have no moral bearings, right, go to a secular university and, you know, you can be a fine, outstanding uh, a young person who loves the Lord, and then you go and spend four years in a secular college, and all of a sudden you come out with no religious beliefs. 
Now, even the world is picking up on some dilemmas here. And so there's a writer for Yale University, the Yale Daily News, and he noted that, you know, 34% of Yale's freshman class identified as having no religion. So this writer, Scott Greenberg, offered some really insightful comments. He said this, The secularization of college students in America has seemed a foregone conclusion for some time, yet it represents a momentous shift from our university and society at large that we have not yet come to grips with. I submit that even the best of our secular institutions have not yet been able to replicate what religion used to provide its followers. He continues, In particular, there is one traditional role of religion that very few communities at Yale have figured out, and that is the role of a moral compass. You see, religion presented constant demands to its adherents of how to live better, using regular rituals and communal norms to spur members constantly to moral action. On the other hand, there is no evidence that Yale has developed any comparable institutional framework for ensuring that Yale students are more ethical when they graduate than when they arrive. Morality isn't something we talk much about on campus. We talk about violence and lying and cheating and and greed uh, that runs rampant through our society, but very few institutions have stepped up to help people to be better. You know, you're never going to be better if your hope is in humanity. Our hope must be in Christ and in His Word. Well, there's one final thing that I want to share with you when we talk about our identity in Christ. We have a home with Him. He does His handiwork in us. He hand-selects us. He holds on to us securely. He gives us hope. And then number six, He honors us. Oh, I love the book of Zephaniah. And I, I know that came out of nowhere, right? The book of Zephaniah. Ah, it's a powerful book where Zephaniah is crying out to his people to get right with God. And the people began to turn and come back to a relationship with God. And Zephaniah says, the Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. His love will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Oh, don't you love that? You know, my wife, every once in a while, she sings over me, and uh, she'll sing a little song as we're driving down the road. And, and when we first started the church, uh, she was on the worship team. She was the worship team, and, and she uh, she has a beautiful voice, and uh, and she would sing these songs over the kids. And, and, you know, God does the same thing for us. He sings over us. And unlike me, uh, his voice is well-tuned. It's a beautiful melody that he sings over us. He honors us. In Romans 2, 7, Paul says, you know, my father will honor the one who serves me. Well, we've talked a lot about our identity in Christ, and, and we talked about what it means, and we talked about what it is. The last question we've got to ask ourselves, well, well, how in the world do I get it? How do I find my identity in Christ? Well, we're going to close up our time together looking at John chapter 1, and uh, we're going to go verses 1 through 13. I won't have time to read everything here, but I want to give you three things about how do I get my identity in Christ. John the Revelator begins by saying, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. 
Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. That light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. What a powerful message John is giving. This is John the Beloved. This is the disciple that Jesus loved that was there at the cross when Jesus died. Uh, And John is writing about the power of the Word. He's talking about the Trinity. And then he gets down to verses 6 through 8, and he talks about that light being represented. He says, there's a man that was sent from God, another John, John the Baptist, and he came in the wilderness to testify that to that light, so that through him all might believe. So we see the light is represented through John the Baptist. But then we learn in verses 9 through 11 that many rejected it. It says that it came, that light came to everyone who was in the world, and but not everyone received it. Many rejected it. But then thirdly, the light was received. And this is the verse uh, that I hope you go home and think about. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become the children of God, children born of natural descent, not of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. You see, that's how you receive that identity in Christ. You believe in his name, you receive him, and then you become a child of God. I'm not talking about a physical birth. I'm talking about a spiritual birth. Now, listen, if you have questions about this, uh, feel free to shoot me an email, onehopeforyourheart at gmail.com, or you can call me, 757-421-7500, onehopeforyourheart at gmail.com, or 757-421-7500. Thank you so much for listening to the broadcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ there is always hope for your heart.